Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, Danny. Hey, hey, hey. How about that Detective Pikachu trailer? What is going on? <laughs> Detective Pikachu. I remember we talked about this on the podcast. Because we, we saw it coming up. We saw it, yeah. We saw the news story and we're like, this will never get made. Well, how foolish we were. It's been made. What is it based on? Do you know? It's based on a video game. A video game. Um, where Detective Pikachu Pikachu's has, a detective. He's, he's, he's a detective. <laughs> Let me just break down the plot <laughs> and the, <laughs> the basic concept of the game. <laughs> It's about Pikachu. So in the as the trailer suggests, it's like a world, it's like the Pokemon world, but yeah. everyone hears the the Pokemon just saying their names, such as, you know, in the such such, such as the Pokemon lore. Yeah. But yeah. in this movie, one guy can hear what Pikachu is actually saying. He's actually got a very good vocabulary. Well, he sounds like Ryan Reynolds. Sounds like Ryan Reynolds, which I think is bad casting. So are we? Are we supposed to? It's doing his Deadpool shtick, and it's not funny. Wasn't funny in the first movie. Are we supposed to understand that it's kind of like Ryan Reynolds' voice is what this guy's hearing in his brain, or something like that? Because wouldn't wouldn't the voice sound like Pikachu's voice, like a squeaky voice? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like it must be him translating it into his mind, but I don't know why the tone of the voice would be so dramatically different. That's what's confusing me about it. Yeah, Um, I watched. uh, I'm not proud to admit a video that was like a breakdown of the detective pikachu <laughs> trailer <laughs> really wondering when that was going I'm not proud of it De- detective pikachu porn <laughs> this is the first thing i googled and uh, no basically pointed out all the pokemon in the trailer and, yeah. and named them all jigglypuff's in there yeah i mentioned all the kind of references to to different things mr mime i remember what what i'm wondering yeah mr mime like what's his deal is that an animal why does he look like a human <laughs> yeah what's going on with that hog thing well after the first like 20 pokemon they started running out of ideas really they're all just like normal animals with something a bit different is mr mime one of the first ones like he's in the original 150 i think yeah so might be quite low down on that list <laughs> <laughs> yeah you'd hope so but there's also the there's like the boxing ones they're pretty similar to humans as well uh, hitmon chang hitmon Hit- lee. Hit- lee they seem jackie chan and bruce lee Yes, but the hit Hitmon. Yeah. The Hitmon versions. Because they hit things and they're monsters. I guess so. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Creative geniuses. What I was wondering is, in the slightly more realistic depiction of the world of Pokemon, taking out the context of a cartoon series or like cartoon movies, will it be more obviously a problem, the kind of slavery aspect to it? Yeah, or making the, them the fight. They, they have like underground fighting rings, which seem really exploitative and cruel, but then they also have like... You know, it's just like a mainstream sport as well, but that also seems quite cruel. A Pokemon already aggressive? Do they just love to beat the shit out of each other? What's the deal? It's all that fucked up, isn't it? Do they are they paid? Because because like when they're 
in in this world, right, when they're when they're wandering about, they're sort of everywhere. They're like in the streets and stuff. Yeah, they seem to be living relatively independent lives. You know, like they're kind of just part of the population as he's sort of wandering around the city. So, do you have certain Pokemon who just have jobs and homes, or and whereas others are stuck well, the, in balls, well, forced to like beat the shit out of each other? The or? Clefairies, of course, are nurses. As we That's know right. From the TV they actually series. already have jobs. They have jobs. But I don't know about the other species. Also, when they're in the ball, does time stop? Are they just in that... Does, does time pass the same they way? They kind of turn into, like, lights, don't they? Yeah. When they get in the cartoons, when they get sucked into the ball. Is it like they've just beaten somebody up and they go in the ball and then, like, years pass? And then, like, <laughs> in like, the real world, but to them, it's like a second. They come out, like, go find this guy. Like, you fucking kidding me? It's like, also, uh, marathon bars are called Snickers now. And like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe inside the ball, it's just like a rest and recuperation kind of spa experience. You can do whatever you want. You have a TV and Maybe stuff. it's so good inside the ball that it's like worth all the fighting and stuff. Maybe like that's the deal. the payment is being in the ball. Yeah. That's the... It's incredible. Instead of a wage, you just get to be in that ball. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's just so cool in there. It's just, it's just great. so good. <laughs> There's no way we can even describe it. It's just that good. Yeah. Well, you see Detective Pikachu, do you think? Like, Absolutely, I'll see Detective it? Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> <Of course. laughs> Why is that even a question? Yeah. yeah. Why not? I don't know. What's our demographic? What's our... What's our demographic? You mean, are they desperate to hear our... our exactly. Take? Of course, Tanny. Of course they are. Of course they want to know. <laughs> I don't want to disappoint all the people who will be asking us what we thought of Detective Pikachu. Although part of me thinks, here's the, here's the take against seeing it, it's a bit of a gimmick, and the joke is really, we're just the suckers who are buying the stupid gimmick product right. just by even seeing the film, you know what I mean? Because yeah. we'll go to see it and be like, oh, how about that crazy concept for a st- stupid film? Why'd they make this? But then that's why everyone saw the movie, and that's why it you made You know what? Money. We're living in the age, post-Netflix, of the clickbait clickbait movie clickbait blockbuster clickbait blockbuster exactly yeah, we've got to have our takes even though we know it's shit and it's weird yes like, oh, you're right you're right we shouldn't see it yeah yeah we shouldn't see any films really i promise <laughs> i i swear to god i will never watch detective Pikachu unless i can steal it uh absolutely the final thing i'd like to say about this someone tweeted is like why isn't it called pi kachu <laughs> <laughs> is it <a> detective <laughs> that's a good question it's just like you know Obvious. All right, I have a final thing to say about it, which is why in the trailer doesn't he electrocute anybody? It's this whole fucking deal. He didn't once do it. Very yeah. disappointing. Anyway, Danny, when we're not talking about Pikachu being a detective... What if he is... becomes Raiju, does he change his voice? <laughs> does he become like a better actor? Like a more esteemed... Does he become like George Clooney or something? Jake Halls. Yeah. <laughs> He's upgraded. Just like a much... <laughs> Someone with a higher fee. Yeah, that's a great... What's the final form of Pikachu? you remember that? I think it's just Raichu, isn't it? Oh, he's only a two. He's only yeah. a twosie. He doesn't. My Raichu card was stolen as a, kid, Aww, as a child. Yeah, Danny. yeah. I had a shiny Raichu card. Well, that's why it got nicked. Yeah, someone took my Raichu. You, did you leave it out? Just left it there and <laughs> said, "Please don't steal it." <laughs> <laughs> no, next to it. And you know what? It was this guy. Took my Raichu. It was left this my guy, bike. Ken Parr. He traded with me for uh, something really good, but the thing he traded with was, was a fake. What you got done by got like done by this guy? He got married last week. My mom told me. Really? Yeah, but he sold you. He was a counterfeit Pokemon card dealer, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's a year older than me. He took advantage of me. Wow. But he's uh, bald now, so he's really winning. <laughs> <laughs> and he's and what I expect is a loveless marriage. Yes. It's only a matter of time before she realizes she's married some sort of Raichu stealing. He's probably sold her a bill of goods, just like he did to you. Yeah. <laughs>
I mean, imagine what that says about his whole character. Imagine yeah. the promises he's made that he that he he won't keep to her after the way he treated G. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, <laughs> enough about Ken Park <laughs> and your ancient grudge against him. <laughs> well, we're not re- reminiscing about these slightly older boys who screwed you over and have yet to receive their comeuppance. Uh, what, what are we talking about? Um, well, Film Chat is a podcast set during the American Civil War where Sam Foster, that's you, served as a Confederate cavalryman until his commanding officer, me, Danny Moran, uh, ordered him to burn down a hospital. Sam refused and was forced to kill his best friend, Danny's son, Jeb. After the war, Danny and his enforcer, Burke, played by Michael Fassbender, tie up Sam and force him to watch as his house is burned down with his wife and son inside. Danny then brands Sam's face with his initials and leaves him to die. Days later, American... American Indians, it says in this Wikipedia thing I've copied. <laughs> Native, Ameri- Native Americans revive Sam with their mystical powers. Not really on this Thanksgiving day of all days. <laughs> <laughs> Giving him the ability to temporarily resurrect the dead. When Danny apparently dies in a hotel fire, Sam satisfies his hunger for vengeance by turning to bounty hunting and sears the branded side of his face to cover up Danny's initials. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the classic 2010 film Jonah Hex starring Josh Brolin. His best comic book movie, if you ask me. Don't at me. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran and joining me is a grizzled Avenger, writer of wrongs, all-round badass, <laughs> Sam Foster. Thanks, Danny. This is the 179th episode of Film Chat, which is appropriate because we've got about 179 film reviews for you. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs an anthology of Wild West tales from the Coen brothers in their signature playful yet existential style. That's getting a review. Outlaw King, a historical swords and mud epic that fleetingly features Chris Pine's dick. You best believe that's getting a review. Suspiria, the remake of the Jallo classic featuring much less red light by Luca Guadagnino. It will be reviewed. Assassination Nation, a scare quotes, edgy, relevant, end square quotes, teen thriller, in which hot sorority girls face the consequences of a world with too much Instagram or something, may not be reviewed. Might do that next week. Might do that next week. And finally, Ne Passaran, a heartwarming documentary about trade unionism and international solidarity that is definitely getting a review. Some other stuff uh, might get a glimpse in amongst all the bloody reviewing that's going on, including some recent prominent deaths, a uh, weird film title that just got announced. We're going to laugh about that and an official apology for some historical film chat mispronunciation. However, I think we will have just enough time for me to announce that my latest script has been bought by Netflix. They've given me a budget of $1 billion <laughs> to direct my original screenplay titled Walt Shitney, a fantasy epic about a greedy entertainment mogul who wants to drive out of business a humble ragtag band of tech startup entrepreneurs and venture capitalists. Dreaming only of bringing quality original content straight into everyone's homes for a small monthly subscription, our underdog heroes must defeat Walt Shitney's deadly new super weapon, a massive space laser called Shitney Plus. <laughs> it's too expensive. It has terrible lag. The user interface on the laser is counterintuitive to say the least, but with the power of the evil empire behind it, it will take every ounce of the brave entrepreneur's strength and the help of a massive army of dragons because I've got to spend this one billion budget <laughs> somehow <laughs> uh, to win the day. That's the, that's the basic idea. So look, look, look forward to that landing on, uh, landing on Netflix. Still, still the best. 
the greatest uh, content distribution platform available to How you. long is it going to be? A tight 90 minutes? Certainly not, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be flabby. Like all your favorite films. It's going to be like the Lord of the Rings Return to the King. If it was three times as long. Wow. And Nine hours long. <laughs> long movie yeah but it's like you'll binge watch one film it's like the binge watching experience but just for one film cool you just have to keep going yeah basically after every hour the film stops and some credits start rolling and then they um vanish into a small icon in the, in the bottom <laughs> red corner and then 10 seconds later the film continues and that just keeps it going you just feel like you know that that prevents you from ever stopping watching incredible can't wait can't wait <laughs> cannot wait can't wait Say that a lot on this podcast. Can't can't stop. Can't stop saying it. We got a new person getting in touch with us who's not got in touch before. Pretty exciting. Jake Arnold, someone we do know personally. Jake Arnold, I've met him. I've met him. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know that guy. <laughs> I know. Very nice, very nice man. He got in touch to reply to one of your tweets. You tweeted the following Hereditary is the only movie where an actor's name is a plot spoiler. Phonetically, at least. That's what you tweeted. Yeah. And that tweet is a spoiler for the film Hereditary. Yeah. And if you go on IMDb and read the cast list, maybe you yeah. can work out how that spoiler functions. Yeah, I did actor... like how you really emphasize the spoiler by literally including a screenshot yeah. <laughs> of what you were talking about. Um, yeah. The actor Johnny Death by Hammer. Oh, what have I said? Yes. So um, Jake replies, I think Morgan Freeman in Shawshank Redemption might have something to say about that. That's a good shout, do you think? Because he's a free man. By the end. It's a spoiler. Yeah. Can you say that about like most films where he's not in prison though? Like No, because in that film man. it's a spoiler that he's a free man. It wouldn't be a spoiler in films where he starts free, would it? <laughs> well, depends what if you think a spoiler is just any bit of information <laughs> about the film. <laughs> I think it's very vague. <laughs> no, that was a good shout. I couldn't like I was I'm impressed because I was racking my brains like, is this the only one? Is like, uh, the only um, you know, name, which is a spoiler. Yeah. Well, there, there may be is others. Is there a movie where River Phoenix becomes a phoenix? Does that ever happen? Does that ever happen in his short-lived career? Does, does River Phoenix play the phoenix <laughs> from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? No, he was, he was long dead by then. Yeah. Was whacking phoenix forks in... But did he come back from the dead? <laughs> like a phoenix? <laughs> <laughs> to play the phoenix? um yeah no i don't know i think we're gonna this is a quite a difficult question so i think we probably struggle to come up with one kind of on off the top of our heads yeah but i was impressed that you know it's a good job has ryan gosling played a baby goose which is a surprise <laughs> in Maybe. the film well disney are doing a lot of live action animations yeah. aren't they so if they do uh the ugly duckling as a kind of mocap thing <laughs> and they cast ryan gosling as the as the lead I made the, a joke on Twitter. I'm making all these great things points on Twitter. You got to follow yeah. our Twitter feed. It's I know. It's, I know it's about a. I know it's about a young swan, not a young goose. But I'm just saying. It's but like close. two years ago, when they announced they were going to make a Top Gun sequel, I was like, "Who's going to play Goose's son?" 
obviously Gosling, and then like three months ago, Nick DeSemlin of Empire made the same joke, and I was like, lawyer the fuck up. Yeah, and when you made it, you know, it was like zero RT, zero likes. Yeah. When he made it, it was like one billion retweets. We just need to become more famous, I feel. We've got the content, but just not the platform. Mm. We're the only people with that problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real tragedy. Oh, God. It's tough. It's tough out there. Tough out there. Listeners, if you could get us really really famous say that when we come up with little jack jokes like that they get the numbers they deserve we'd really appreciate it so spread the word review us on itunes so on and so forth thank you thank you superhero films announced casting rumors leaking out m not Shyamalan's film is hated paul thomas anderson's is fated meryl streep's oscar tips matt damon's in a viral vid michael bay's made a mint that's the news that's been to print danny some old men have passed some away. Some old legends. Some old legends have passed away. One of them, the cameo king himself, Stan Lee, creator yeah. of Spider-Man and uh, many other I thought he was an old man who did cameos, but it turns out, it turns out <laughs> he made all these characters. Before, really... before he was famous for uh, having loads and loads of cameos in a number of Marvel films. Um, yeah, he's, he cre- created loads of iconic uh, comic uh, book characters. And also to die, um, William Goldman the American novelist and screenwriter, most famous to me for writing the screenplay to The Princess Bride. But and the Butch, Butch Cassidy. And Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. And Marathon Man, based on his own book, and All the President's Men. Yeah, just, I think, generally considered to be a sort of screenwriter's screenwriter. He wrote a book about screenwriting, which is often, and in the wake of his death, as like, often these things go, like people were tweeting like, all these sort of legendary pearls of wisdom he produced. And yeah, like I've uh, his scripts are really good. Like I've, I've read a couple of them. Like the Princess Bride script is really funny. Like the stage directions are funny, and um, yeah, I mean they both were super old, so it's not like it tragic. Not the most tragic of deaths. Obviously, sad. Like <laughs> sad. Yeah, like any, uh, yeah. Like any death. Um, yeah. I uh, then then neither figure is um, especially personal to me. I guess like the issue thing when these things happen is the, the kind of appraisals that that come out. I mean, there was immediately on when Stanley died, there was uh, my Twitter feed was sort of full of both tributes, sort of like heartfelt tributes to him. And then also people saying like, oh, by the way, he didn't really give proper credit to his collaborators. And yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently he was a bit of a pervy old guy. Not dear. Um, you know, he probably just by sheer age avoided us <laughs> <laughs> any scandal. Apparently he was like, yeah, a bit of a perv. Um but yeah, did you, would, you know, did, did did you feel any strong emotions? Did this did this news kind of fall off you like water? Or? Well, just, um, well, his death wasn't surprising because he was so old. But it's just like, it's weird for one person to have that kind of cultural impact. Yeah. Like, you know, even though um, he took credit for a lot of stuff and he co-created a lot of these characters, like, he, I think his whole thing was that he was the sort of business acumen side of Marvel and... Uh, you know, sort of steered it through all these periods of bankruptcy and, like, you know, it almost didn't get off the ground in the 50s or what have you. But it's weird to think of the current blockbuster landscape without this one guy. Like, yeah, the whole entire comic book industry is, like, sort of derived from Marvel in the 60s. And uh, as a result, so is the entire blockbuster industry now. So, like, in terms of one man's influence over pop culture, it's kind of, you know, there's only a few people like that. I guess it is, um, there is something amazing about creating this, or co-creating or being being involved in anyway, the creation of these like set of characters who became iconic in this one space and then were not so had didn't have sufficient 
cultural clout to be sure things when marvel started making these movies um in the late aughts uh and you know so all those characters have kind of subsequently become iconic again it was like almost as if they were original creations like the second time yeah um so yeah and what an actor and what a fucking (laughs) great actor i had to say like one of my initial thoughts on hearing this news was just a mild relief that there would be no more Stanley cameos because I did feel like they were getting a bit tedious. But do you think he's going to be really sad if he's like and he's in the next Avengers movie? Has he already shot his cameo and it'll be his last one and it'll just be? You have to assume he's going to be in it, yeah. Unless they maybe they recut it to you know uh, give him a poignant send off somehow <laughs> for walker style green screen yeah get, exactly get his brother it's in. gonna be like in a fast and furious seven <laughs> i want to know like he just drives off next <laughs> yeah that would be amazing <laughs> that would be amazing yeah just a shot of him looking through a car window nodding sagely you know a moment of understanding and then he drives off somewhere into the sunset what do you think it would be like watching all these movies if you had no idea who he was and he never looked up his involvement? Would you think it was all like the same, some sort of Zelig star character who's just always there? Or how yeah, would you, how would you make sense of it? Isn't that a fan theory that he's just like, he's just one guy? Like, he is the same man? Could you somehow make that work? Like <laughs> He's a, like a time-traveling intergalactic being. He like, works as a sort of delivery man slash security guard. Yeah, because he's in space and stuff as well. Yeah, it's kind of hard to, to, to grasp it. But yeah. maybe that'll be a crucial plot point in the last movie. I hope that they did weren't making that kind of the fact that he is this sort of army of clones or some of that kind of fundamental to the next phase of Marvel movies, and it was all going to revolve around Stanley still being alive. Yeah, he was going to replace Captain America. Yeah, exactly. He's they take gonna, risks, you know. He's going to become the crux of their next phase. Oh man. Yeah. Well, Excelsior or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> one of his catchphrases <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how beautiful, like... that's beautifully put <laughs> um, you know, he brought a lot of joy to a lot of people didn't they, they both they did. both did they you both, know they both certainly did they both created iconic things of pop culture absolutely like you know a day doesn't go past when I don't quote the prince actually that's not true but I feel like The Princess Bride is the most quotable movie of all time, possibly. You can make that argument. Every line is iconic. Yeah, that's that's absolutely G. It's a great movie. I really like it. I didn't see it until relatively recently. So I had to just kind of catch up on it as a whole kind of cultural thing. And I really liked it. I was like, I can see why people, you know, well, I can you see know, why it's praised. Marvel should have hired William Goldman to do, do a few runs on their scripts, you know. A lot of third act problems. Yeah. You know, he was the king of structure and dialogue. And their movies lack both of those Strengths. <laughs> See, I've seamlessly tied these two deaths together here. Very nice. Seamless. William Goldman could have done that because that's what he did. Good at stuff. Oh, God, I don't know. Well, I'm sure that those uh, tragic passings of icons would have been big news for some people, but it was rather overshadowed for me <laughs> by some truly massive fucking news landing. This is in the world of uh, DC films which i follow yeah. very closely my preferred extended universe personally my favorite of all ex- the extended universes and I'm, I'm always like every time something comes out like i'm just on it like a fucking uh, rat on a little <laughs> bit of cheese or something <laughs> you know like you know the expression 
<laughs> like around a little bit of cheese. Yeah, of course. I just need a little morsel and yeah. I kind of scurry up to it and yeah. just grab it in my little jaws. I'm like, oh, I love this. <laughs> love to learn about the, you know, there's the films. Um, so uh, such a, a tidbit um, appeared about the Birds of Prey film. This is the movie that I think Margot Robbie is producing or has been trying to like get off the ground in the, in the DC world. Maybe sensing an opening when it's just generally been like kind of floundering and they didn't know what they were doing. And uh, there's going to be, it's basically, I think we might have mentioned it before, but it's a kind of all-female version of Suicide Squad. Yeah. A bunch of um, female characters who uh, team up together uh, called Birds of Prey, I believe based on a comic, which um, Margot Robbie was going to reprise her role as Harley Quinn from suicide squad and she has announced on instagram the title of this film she posted a picture of the or the full title i should say she posted a picture of the script um which says birds of prey at the top and then she has written in handwriting underneath it and the fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn right and it was apparently subsequently confirmed this wasn't just a little flourish from uh, margot on instagram but this is actually the official title of the movie she got word of the day toilet paper or something. What's going, what's going on here? Was this, was this directed by uh, Tim Burton? Or <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Mrs. Paragon's home of peculiar fantabulous <laughs> emancipation. Emancipation. Um, yeah. So strange one. I mean, it sounds like it's going to have a different tone. I guess judging from that, it's going to be like the house with a clock on its walls or something. <laughs> like I, I assumed that it would be another dark and uh, twisted, wacky film like Suicide Squad or yeah. something like that. But it's hard to imagine a film coming out with that title that's not going to be, like, kind of cartoony and for kids. I don't know. Yeah. My first thought was that maybe it was going to be more of, like, a sort of Deadpool-style, like, meta film. Whereas, like, it's the title Harley Quinn would give to her own story because she's so zany. Um, yeah. Definitely does. Maybe it is that. I don't know. Sounds... She's titled the film herself. Will it start with her talking direct to camera about the film? Yes. Everyone loves that. People love that these days. <laughs> they love that after Deadpool. It wouldn't surprise me, you know. Yeah. If they did make her kind of fourth wall breaking character. Why not? Why not? She's like a bit crazy. So. <laughs> Which she was one of the rare good things about that movie. Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, say good, like it's all relative. But like, <laughs> it wasn't like, I didn't watch this. Like I have to see this performance replicated in a better film. But it was just, you know. Yeah. She had a you know, bit of personality. Yeah. Yeah. She's quite like a charming actress. I mean... It was she. She would just spend the whole movie having to be like kind of sexy and cool in the same kind of way over and over again. But um, but I thought she was good in it. Yeah. So I can imagine her her, her doing better with like a better project. What do you reckon was the alternate titles before they settled on that? Um. <laughs> was it just the Emancipation? They're like, no, no. Put some sugar on that. The Emancipation Proclamation of <laughs> One Harley Quinn. Four scores and seven years ago. Yeah. Why? Why is it like? one harley quinn that does make it sound like which is a crazy lady you know uses crazy different rhythms of speech what's that terry gilliam uh film the imaginary doctor Dr. Dr. Parnassus. yeah yeah a little bit like that i guess what's your what's your favorite film with one of these like comically <laughs> long sort of jovial titles you got the imaginary doctor Parnassus. Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. What's that movie uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet did? Is like the prestigious T.J. Spivett or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't remember that one. Yeah. It does sound a bit like, this is quite a catty thing to say, but like 
David Williams trying to be Roald Dahl. Sounds like a title he would come up with, you know? Yeah. Get Quentin Blake to illustrate his crappy, like, the boy who with a dress, but it's like, the fabtabulous, crazy blue basque yeah. or whatever. And it's the, like, he doesn't quite have the gif of language, but, you know. The thing that I saw this compared to on Twitter was the um, uh, Troy McClure movie from The Simpsons <laughs> called The Contrabulous Fabtraption of Professor Horatio Hoffnagel. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit like that. Which it is quite a lot like. Anyway. Needless to, needless, <laughs> needless to say, shot straight to the top of the 2019 must-see list. Just above that Trump prophecy movie. Yeah. Yeah. And the Flash film, of course. <laughs> and of course, the Flash <laughs> The Flash film. Oh, man. How excited are you for Aquaman? So Incredibly. So, apparently, it's the, so the pre-sales are strong, apparently. Are they? Do you want to go see it IMAX opening day? <laughs> Please. Well, we we can't see. There's no Star Wars film this year to see in IMAX. So if they're showing Aquaman at the Science Museum, yeah, I imagine it'll have a lot of good science in it. Sure. About Land, sea, fish. You know, ro- underwater robots and stuff. What's the science there? You've got a D.H. Defoe. D.H. Defoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a deal. Let's do it. Let's really do get it. it. Really get back into that extended universe. Our favorite one. Yeah. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Suspiria. Okay, so this is the remake of the 1977 original, written and directed by Dario Argento, a giallo classic. Luca Guadagnino, hot of the success of Coin By Your Name, has done the unthinkable and thought he could remake this genius film. Um, so this new version is very similar to the old one in terms of the sort of structure. It's a American ballet dancer, played by, Duke, played by Dakota Johnson, goes to a ballet school in Germany in 1977, and they're witches. And it's like, you know, some spooky stuff going on. And but in this new version, the sort of emphasis is very much on the time period. There's the Bader Meinhof sort of gang in the background. It's the fact that it's a divided Berlin is important, and there's also a, a large section of the plot is devoted to this aging psychologist played by Tilda Swinton in a lot of old man makeup in a way that's somewhat distracting because it's not at all a plot point. They just couldn't didn't want to cast an old man. The movie's too female centric. Can't be given a good role to a dude. Yeah, they've, not... they've all of them have had sexual harassment scandals now. So. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't find one. Kept on booking somebody. And they just kept on having a sexual harassment scandal. And, don't, uh, don't worry, Tilda, you do it. Oh, fine, fine. <laughs> um, yeah, and some spooky stuff happens. Here's a clip of Dakota Johnson when she's kind of first arrived at the academy, having a chat with the overbearing head dancer teacher lady, played in magnificent form. By Tilda Swinton. When you dance the dance of another, you make yourself in the image of its creator. You empty yourself so that her work can live within you. Do you understand? Yeah. You're in a company now. You have to find your right place. You have to decide what is it you want to be for this company. Is it the head? The spine? The sex? The heart? The hands. I want to be this company's hands. Higher. 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 
So, uh, I quite liked it. My contrarian take is that I don't hate it. A lot, it's got come out to quite sniffy reviews, and it's, the original is very beloved. And there's a lot of people who are like outraged that it would be even remade in the first place. But the original Suspiria, the plot is very derivative. It's like a classic gothic story. They go to some place. It seems a bit spooky. Something's going on. Spoiler alert: something is going on. I mean, in the original Suspiria movie, there's literally, they say witches on the soundtrack in the first five minutes. It was like, witches? <laughs> um, but what makes that original movie so enduring is the way it's shot. And it's a movie which you can uh, say it is an objectively well-directed film because the script is like total bobbins, but there's just so much virtuoso camera work and set design and cool music and stuff that it becomes really compelling. And I think the best thing you can say about this new version is very much its own thing. And if you go in expecting... Uh, something akin to the original you'll be disappointed because it's this new one is a sort of a horror movie but it's not particularly scary but it's not trying to be and it's more like a sort of melancholic psycho history drama thing it's i don't know if it's totally successful but it's definitely going for something and uh while over long i was sort of entertained by it enough and i got enough out of it so the movie's emphasis is very much on the time and place it's set berlin in the late 70s and the kind of plot comes out of that and i quite enjoyed this take where everything is very muted and the sort of plotting with this elderly psychologist who's searching for his wife who's gone missing in world war ii and the whole film is a little drab deliberately so and it's kind of set like the 70s is some sort of like hangover from world war ii and the whole theme of dance is like the dance the dance academy has been there for 50 years and survived through fascism and not, but it maintained its sort of part as part of German culture in a way other things didn't, which I thought was quite an interesting take on it. And because the movie's quite muted in its color palette and like the way it's shot, like individual moments really land. And I quite enjoyed the sort of varying tones of the film. There's some bits that are like laugh out loud funny. Um, and there are a few out and out horror moments that really work. And there's just like a, a strain of weirdness to the film. Like, I wasn't sure what it was going for for the entire movie. And by the end, that it was still true. And I don't know if that means the movie didn't know what it was doing or it did know what it's doing. But I generally felt in safe hands. I read a lot of sniff reviews where, like, Guadagnino tries his hand at a horror movie and fails miserably or whatever. And it's like, I think he's really going for something more than just, you know, if he got he forgot to put the scares in. Yeah, yeah. You know, he sort of knows what he's doing. I don't know if it's particularly good, but it felt, you know, definitely handled. The climax is very silly in a very entertaining way, but in a very knowing way. And there's also just a very melancholic air to the whole movie, which was kind of refreshing. Wasn't really expecting Suspiria the movie, which is so hysterical in its first incarnation, to have this very sort of like melancholic tone. I like that bit. I also think the performances are really good. Tilda Swinton, she can play anything. Old lady, old man, young woman, witch, vampire, immortal being, <laughs> angel, anything. The woman has limitless range. Um, and her performance is a bit like her performance in Doctor Strange or something, like very commanding, ethereal presence. It's very good casting. Yeah. And I think she's just like such a watchable performer. And Dakota Johnson is also... A very interesting leading lady. There's something just a bit off-center about her. And I think when she's placed in the right material, it really works. And that's this is the case here. I like Jacoby Johnson a lot. Yeah. She's like... I feel like out of the Fifty Shades thing, like Jamie Dorm's just some handsome dude. But like she's a genuine movie star. She's got something... Yeah. She's kind of en- enigmatic in the way a lot of actors of that age aren't, you know. I think like perpetually it seems like there are no young movie stars. 
Yeah, she yeah, has something. Yeah, I think definitely. I think there's more options among amongst young women than amongst young men. She's one of the reasons for that. Yeah, so I was a bit nonplussed by it when I saw it, and I've sort of slowly come round to it. Um, it is overlong, and by the end, I was kind of ready to leave. I feel like it kind of makes its point and kind of keeps going a little bit. And it is probably a movie that would benefit from a second viewing. Now, you know, I know what I'm sort of getting, um, but I'm not like in a hurry to watch it again. And if I'm going to, let me say something very pretentious here. It's like the movie is like sort of a bit of a riddle, but not enticing enough for me to want to solve it. If you know what I mean? Like, yeah, would, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd watch it again, but it is an hour, it's like two and a half hours long. Do and you, Do you yeah. feel like he would have gotten a better reception if he had just had given it a different title not set it at a dance academy but at some other you know just made it like slightly not copyright infringement or whatever yeah and just made his own kind of movie and absolutely people rather than making people compare it to the original that's the thing i think when movies are remakes it just gives critics like more of a license to have that sort of slightly like what the director was going for here it kind of makes their jobs easy in a way because yeah you know you've got a reference point that you can just use throughout your review it's quite funny because, like, that, you know, when it came out, it was just considered this, like, kind of schlocky B-movie, uh, you know, low art. And now it's like, don't touch n- it. Now, now it's don't touch it. Like, now how dare you, Luca Guad? Who do you think you are? Like, one of the most revered directors <laughs> of this generation, touching the great Suspiria. And Sorry, it's, like, it's in the canon now. It's been, yeah, put, it's been exactly. put in the museum. Don't get near it. But, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Like, it was a remake that did something. You know, like, most horror remakes suck. Or like are completely forgettable. It's like every major like horror movie you can think of has got like remember that Rob Zombie version of Halloween? Like no, like remember that new version of Evil Dead? No, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one actually has something to it, which I think is something. So if you've seen it, please get in touch because I would like to know someone else's opinion on it, because I was a little I haven't seen it. But if I do watch it, I'll get in touch. <laughs> get in touch. Let's have a let's have a discussion about it. Alright. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're going to hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. This is the new film from the Coen brothers. All of their movies are are very uh, anticipated when they came out. This is an unusual one in that its main distribution platform is Netflix. Um, Probably the most strange sort of Netflix release to come out yet, I would say. Seems very like it would have been unthinkable a couple of years ago the new Coen Brothers movie would get barely any cinematic distribution because it'd been bought by a website. But there you go. That's <laughs> crazy times we're living in. That's, that's the world we live in now. Um, it's also an unusual film within their canon because it is an anthology film. Um, it is a series of six short stories which are all set in the Wild West and are linked together by a sort of loose framing device of all being 
part of a storybook, uh, which is kind of opened by an off-screen hand at the beginning um, and then returns to between each chapter. Um, so there's a lot of different tales. You know, I won't go through like... <laughs> so, story one. <laughs> the bottom of them all. Um, it's got like kind of an, uh, an, an all-star cast. Liam Neeson is in it. Tim Blake Nelson. Um uh james franco's in there um tom waits is in it zoe kazan um and there's a there's a broad range of tones uh running from um, the slightly sort of absurdist and uh, like almost cartoonish tone of the um first uh titular or, or rather eponymous i suppose um segments called the ballad of buster scribes in which tim blake nelson is a kind of cheerful singing cowboy character who also like, shoots a lot of people um, to um, more kind of expressive, purely uh, dramatic tales like The Gal Who Got Rattled, which is the one that has Zoe Kazan in it. Here's a clip of Tim Blake Nelson as Buster Scruggs delivering some of the fun, chewy, old-timey dialogue. Frenchman's Gulch. This town is new to me. <laughs> Hold on, son. How's policy? Here's a six-shooter. You'll be wanting the senorita pistols as well? Everything. How's policy? Feel a bit naked, but I guess with everyone similarly disadvantaged, there's scant chance of misadventure. I'm out. Well, this is well-timed. You gentlemen mind if I take his spot? If and you play his hand. I love this film. Thought it was excellent. I've told a couple of people... I mentioned to a couple of people that I was seeing this movie. I feel like it just sounds ridiculous if you say you're seeing this film and someone has no reference point for what it is. It's like, what did you see? Oh, yeah, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. They're like, okay, <laughs> whatever, just some crazy movie that's out there. Um, but I would recommend to any such person that uh, they should watch it. Um, I remember I was slightly disappointed by um, Hail Caesar, and so it was really satisfying to see what I felt like was the Coens, like really back on full form, and also just really making a case for their whole thing, which I felt like I was getting a little bored of. Um, and I remember finding Hail Caesar um, as being this, it's got this, felt like it had a slightly superior air to it. It's like quite kind of detached. They never really want to say anything too definite. They kind of throw a bunch of stuff out there and then they sort of make you mull over it and they seem like they almost think you're an idiot if you read too much into their stuff or something like that. That's vaguely how I felt like it was yeah. going. Um, but uh, this film felt like a... Um, uh, the 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 engagement you have with it in a viewer is much more sort of welcomed by the material i don't know if i'm creating too much of a character in the form of the movie for me to speak to but um uh but i found i found it like really satisfying to mull over and the final segment which is called the mortal remains um and is set basically entirely on a stagecoach and uh has these uh, five characters who are sort of bickering with each other about human nature and stuff is um very obviously allegorical and um in, invites you to you know consider everything that you've seen in in that kind of a way by being the capper on the whole on the whole story um and i it's it's remarkable how well all these different tales hang together and even though the um tones of them are, are very varying there's some like overtly comic stuff and some sort of really dark stuff um th there's this really strong through line to it and especially a couple of them which are um, quite sort of elliptical and uh, you could sum up the plots of them in basically two lines almost. And if you just watched it by, watch each one um, alone, then it would seem like just oddly kind of detached. 
but it, in, in the context of the whole movie it just creates such a strong sense of mood um and i found that it really sort of casts a spell uh that, that works like incredibly effectively um yeah the uh the third story which is the the tale it's called meal ticket and it's liam neeson um and this uh, uh he's like part of this traveling show with this guy who has no limbs who delivers um famous poems played by harry melly of dudley fame from the he's harry lost weight movies. he's a great actor now he's lost weight he's lost all of his limbs he's lost all his limbs <laughs> <laughs> so he lost most of the weight the limbs <laughs> yeah it had all gone straight to his limbs before um yeah and uh it's it's an almost it's it's fascinating kind of segment in a way it's almost silent i mean he delivers these monologues as part of the show but that's basically almost all the talking that's that's in the film and you have no idea where it's going it's so it's it's so kind of mysterious and slow and and i think if you just watch this by itself it would just be a bit kind of oddball but in the context of this two hour film which is so full of like odd surprises and moments it just becomes really powerful um yeah none of them drag Usually in portmanteau movies, like there's always one that's a bit shit, but these ones are all yeah. Great. It's it's quite like sedate. There's some of them are quite sedately paced, and there'll be there'll be long stretches without like you know any obvious sort of action happening. But it's all kind of going somewhere. Yeah, and I think the best way I can describe watching it is the feeling like um, watching someone do a magic trick or something where there's a lot of kind of build up to it, and you always feel there's such a strong sense of purpose and atmosphere. And you know that something is going to fucking happen and make <laughs> sense of, of everything. So you never feel cheated or like it, they were just kind of killing time. Everything always, you know, feels like it was it was there for a reason. And when you look back at it afterwards, you know, it makes sense. You can understand yeah, yeah. why it was all why it was all put in that place. Um, and yeah, as as I say, it was, it's it's a it's a continually surprising film. It's always like um, creating. Uh, expectations and subverted them in ways that is you know the nuts and bolts of good storytelling whatever but it's just yeah really, really effective i think that's the most impressive thing about it is how like deft it is at sort of switching tones uh in a way where like you know after a wacky one you're like you're waiting for like the penny to drop and then it doesn't but that itself is subverting your expectations so i can't win it's like i can never get a handle on what they're doing yeah yeah um yeah i like it, it really grew on me i watched it at the london film festival and uh, yeah, I don't know like, the Coens are so like virtuoso filmmakers that like nowadays their films aren't even discussed as like good or bad. It's either like masterpiece <laughs> or like insubstantial. Yeah. And like because of um yeah, similar like, Hell Caesar, there's like a sort of impish quality to their work where it's like and it starts off quite wacky. So I'm like, how seriously are you gonna take this? And then by the end, I'm like, you sort of yeah, like you're saying, kind of pulls the rug over your eyes, or maybe the wall. Something is being pulled. Who knows what? No normal metaphors can apply to <laughs> can this I, masterful film. This masterful fucking movie. <laughs> Only mixed ones. Yeah, which uh, we can't really discuss, but it does like invite a lot of interrogation in a way which is kind of welcome. Whereas like with Hell Caesar, like if you think about it too much, it's like, what are you doing thinking about my stupid movie? I tricked you. Yeah. Whereas like this, this well, there's a sort of through line with the Coen's Brothers movies, which is always about. There's a lot of like people pondering the meaning of life and the action of the film is always seems to be indicating that it's just randomness and the, the universe is this cruel, desolate place. And, yeah. you know, the, there's no order to anything and stuff. And I think there's a kind of glib way to do that and a less glib way. And I felt like with something like Hail Caesar that it just, you know, is ultimately like everything is a stupid song and dance and whatever. Um, whereas I didn't quite get that sense of Buster Scruggs. I mean, maybe partly because 
it, the 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 world that it's set in is set up as being just like a storybook and it is like a kind of kind of toy box for them yeah. um it's not it's not set in a historical period it's set in a toy like a storybook for kids basically and these are really really adult tales but they're not they don't involve like real people they involve characters and i really like they, they each story is set up with a, a a first page so you can read the like the story version of the thing that you're about to see so you're always yeah. reading a little bit of text that will say something you know like the cowboy stared at the bank or whatever and then it will go into that so you always know that that that's like the world you're in and it gives them a little bit of a license to um uh sort of play around in a sort of fairy tale esque way you know they they have that kind of like some stories more than others but they all have that um slightly fairy tale like quality where you feel like there's a sort of moral lesson to it or you know each um each story has some sort of like lesson to be to be drawn from it uh rather than pretending to be like a just like a naturalistic drama film where it's just about you know humans in a interior lives or so like they're not they're not really like psychological stories um i don't know that that might be nonsense (laughs) you sort of broadly see what i'm getting at and the other thing that i that um i thought was is done really well in it that i found um really enjoyable watching it is that there's this real emotional clarity to the way that they set up their characters and the way that the scenes play out and there's never any doubt about what the stakes are of what the question or like what the questions are that are raised by encounters between people and i just find that quite satisfying that when when you have two people who are facing off and you know or like any basically any encounter between two people in the movie it feels like they're kind of painting with primary colors but it just gives you as an audience member such a strong handle on what is actually going on and you you know what you're supposed to be wondering and you know when you're thinking like will this person turn out to be good or bad or you know how will this play out you know that the questions in your head are the ones the filmmaker wants you to have does that make yeah sense? absolutely um and yeah it's just made that's what makes it confidence. so pleasing it's like you know every story pays off yeah <laughs> yes exactly yeah you know you don't lose patience with anything it's like ah oh, that was 20 minutes and it all works and then like now's another <laughs> you know another little treat yeah exactly <laughs> i can't wait for the next one i don't know you know you don't have to work very hard as an audience member to enjoy it but then at the same time there's you know yeah if you I mean, want to delve into it you know it's all there yeah or exactly. not i don't know <laughs> can't <laughs> don't never know the cohen's this is all one cosmic trick on me but yeah I also, I think it's one of their strongest written films. I think sometimes their dialogue, especially when they try to do like out and out comedy. Yeah. Um, they're not always, I don't always find them as funny as like, I think they intend themselves to be. There was a welcome lack of sort of like comedy, uh, sort of, Chinese guy or yeah, Jewish ex- guy exactly, or whatever. Like. Exactly. Like it's not, they didn't have, although some of the stories are quite broad, it doesn't, it didn't have that kind of, that quite sort of like broad slapstick quality that they've had in some of their other stuff, which does skirt racism, let's be honest. <laughs> um, and uh, I just thought it was a really cleverly written film. And the, the, the format kind of requires a lot of inventiveness on a story setting level, which I think they really displays. And I read afterwards that it's, um, Apparently these stories have been written over a period of 25 years or something like that, which is, you know, I guess it makes sense because I can't imagine having to sit down and come up with six tales yeah. like this. It'd be impossible. I think that's the problem with other anthology movies is that like they have like one or two good ideas and you're like, I've got to think of another, I've got to fill 40 minutes here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they yeah. sort of reverse engineer it from the themes they've already come up with, whereas this feels, I don't know, it took 25 years to make, <laughs> but you know, it's really good. So maybe that's the way you make anthology movies, just spend a long time on the back burner. 
yeah the only uh thing i would say like is it is a note of criticism is that like basically like all of their movies it's not especially good on a representation front and they're dealing with quite a racist period and because they're reproducing kind of storybooks uh, you know of the time it reproduces that racism basically yeah there's like native american characters in it who are portrayed as just like animalistic you know weeping natural disaster threats kind of a thing yeah um, and women get very little to do in the entire film. There's like six stories, basically one prominent female character in them, you know, maybe two, you know, so, and then they're all white. She doesn't have a lot of agency. She doesn't, she doesn't <laughs> have a lot of agency. And every every character is white. So it's not a diverse or progressive film on that front. No. But on other fronts, it is good. I think that's the thing with them. They're so sort of steeped in the past of like American filmmaking. Yeah, that is just you know. I'm surprised I didn't come in some for more criticism on that uh, on that. Uh, the movies um, are too regard, good, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Well, I guess if you just never even try, you can't fail. So no one cares. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Are there any? Yeah, I'm trying to think of any black characters in any of their movies. There's a black character in Intolerable Cruelty, a Cedric the Entertainer, as a sort of yeah, quite sort of. I don't know. Sort of comedy black guy. Comedy black guy. Yeah. It's like catchphrase is like, I got their ass or something. <laughs> Thinking about it. <laughs> Wait a second here. Let me. There's this sort of kindly black janitor in uh, Hudzuka Proxy. He's actually like the sort of spirit of time or something. Sort of magical Negro. <laughs> That's bad. Um, it's, there's, a str- uh, it's a struggle. There's the Native American character in Fargo. It's just like a sort of lumbering Hulk kind of. They just. Um, yeah, there's even... the Korean neighbors from A Serious Man. Culture clash. You say culture clash. Pretty funny. It's pretty funny. There's, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you can't, you can't do everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the end of this review, of this five star masterpiece. The cones might be racist, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Like, like all their films. Who knows what's really going on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the jokes are really on you if you think that their movies are racist. From one meticulously made incredible film, everything in its right place, to another, Outlaw King, the other Netflix release, directed by David McKenzie, who previously made Hello High Water, probably the biggest hit of his career, but it's quite an interesting career, which kind of ping-pongs between different genres, made that movie Young Adam, made that movie You Instead, that movie set at uh, that festival. Weird. Weird filmography. Hard a place. Yeah. And he's decided to make the film about Robert the Bruce defeating the English, becoming the King of Scotland or something. Who do you get to play Robert the Bruce? Chris Pine. Obviously. And basically, it's kind of like, I don't think unfair to say, a sort of sequel to Braveheart. That mo- it kind well, of basically picks up where Braveheart yeah. leaves off. So William Wallace is gone. The, all the Scottish lords have to swear allegiance to the king, but after doing that, Robert Bruce is like, actually, no. And raises an army and, against incredible odds, takes on the English. Here's a clip. I confess I was surprised to receive your letter. I do urgently desire to discuss with you a matter most delicate. Something cryptic, wouldn't you say? It was intentional. I see. And if I were to infer that your aim was, in fact, to reignite a rebellion. We already tried it. 
for eight bloody years, and we failed. Because we didn't unite. Oh, Robert the Bruce! This is this was shit, wasn't it? <laughs> like it was quite yeah, bad. It was rubbish. It's just not good. Very Netflixy. I felt. Yeah, in a way that Buster Scruggs is not at all. Uh, this did feel, and which which I mean, it doesn't really make sense to me for like a um, uh, a feature film because like the thing with like Netflix like television productions, they often feel like they really struggle to fill thirteen hours, you know, because you need it needs to be that long to properly binge or something, <laughs> and uh, and so there's just like it's tons and tons of filler and there's always enough going on so that you keep watching, but it's like really like randomly paced and stuff. Whereas if you sit down and make a feature, there doesn't seem to be really any excuse for that, but it still felt kind of like a bit of a mess like it was made to order they didn't really know what they were doing and it's yeah. like really badly paced and well since the premiere at the toronto film festival we did cut 20 minutes out of the movie i mean it's, knowing that it's still can... over two hours long so yeah how long was that must have been a fucking shitty experience watching that toronto it's though. just like very familiar i mean it's like braveheart too it's like man you know insurmountable odds overcome stuff but it just like has nothing new doesn't have an angle on it at all. I don't know. You could have made this movie 30 years ago and it'd be the same in a way, which I don't know if that's a great criticism, but just like, I was just like, why make Outlaw? Who's it going to see like... this movie? What's the demand for it? There was no real vision behind the camera. I don't know if that is a result of the choppiness of the edit. Yeah. But it just like from scene to scene, I didn't really know what it was going for. It feels like a movie which presumes that you've watched the trailer for it already or something. Yeah. Where you're a bit, it's a bit like, you know what you're getting into. They, you know, they're all in costumes. They're going to be covered in mud. They're going to, like, have a fight. Um, I don't know. And it, and I think the fact that they cut 20 minutes out of it was noticeable in the sort of very odd pacing. The way that, like, scenes that basically were identical to each other would follow in a row. Like, there was a few scenes in a row of him meeting people, like, walking up and meeting people in a yeah. field, which just felt really odd placed together um and uh yeah i mean it, it felt a bit like had a bit of a filmed wikipedia page quality to it where they were hitting a bunch of like historical uh markers i mean I looked up afterwards that you know i mean i did literally look up the wikipedia page <laughs> um and you know it's sort of accurate in its broad strokes but as i was watching it it just felt a bit like you know dramatically inert it's like it's hard yeah. to imagine being that invested in it the, robert the bruce's character is not especially well drawn he's just a kind of stoical uh, grumpy dude with a really unflattering mullet um yeah i think that's the movie's biggest problem in a way that doesn't like successfully articulate the stakes yeah. like with braveheart as sort of problematic that movie is it's like okay it's like a, he's a working class hero the english are all like cut are bastards as is explained in the first 30 minutes of the movie because they're sort of raping people and being generally evil and, like, it's very cathartic to see them uh, kill the English later on. And, like, yeah, sure, cover yourself and woe, even though you stopped doing that 500 years ago and work kills, <laughs> even though you don't do that for another 200 years or, you know, whatever. But this one is just, like, this sort of posh, grump, grumpy guy, like you're saying, wandering around. There's a bit of a kerfuffle in a town. And it just all felt a bit cheap. Like, uh, Scotland consists of, like, two castles and a lot of mud and, like, 12 people. And, yeah, and in a post sort of Game of Thrones world i feel like you really gotta you know up your game on the battles if your whole thing is like i'm a medieval battle movie it's like it shouldn't just look like well this felt weirdly like it, it felt like it was trying to one-up braveheart in terms of like that movie is famous for being really historically inaccurate and in this one they went for like real historical fidelity but it didn't seem to serve the film really in any purpose? way so like yeah. the final battle scene i actually thought was pretty well done even though it kind of came up to it with what i felt like was not really that much fanfare and then the actual action itself was 
you know, I mean, I think it was like very professionally made and had a lot of effective, you know, swords uh, chopping and horses uh, falling into stakes and stuff. But um, it was like kind of flat in terms of it was just a mess, which I imagine is what battles were like, where it's like no one has any idea what's going on. Both sides are dressed identically, so you can't tell who's on what side. <laughs> and, you, and you're just watching like a bunch of guys like randomly swing at each other, like, you know, while in mud and stuff. And I'm sure it was very expensive and difficult to do, but it was a bit hard to get involved in. But I, But I feel like they were trying to make something which was faithful to how something might have actually gone down. And the whole kind of setup for the battle was apparently quite true. It's how it was really done, you know, and the numbers were real and stuff like that. But it's just like, I don't care, you know. What, 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 yeah, people don't go to the movies I to learn. I want to be moved, <laughs> mostly grip me. Well, yeah, I'm here to watch a story. Um, and But I think yeah. that approach was slightly at odds with the sort of general thematic thrust, which was... Yeah, which is like this a really kind of like national you know, myth kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Is this the time for nationalism in our films, David McKenzie? Do you want to break up the United Kingdom, David McKenzie? <laughs> do you really want to go there, David McKenzie? Do you want to do, you want to do that, David McKenzie? Just don't do it. Leave, leave, leave our, leave our precious union alone, <laughs> and and leave my eyes alone with your stupid film. Yeah, just very underwhelming. I did enjoy the performance of Billy Howell, who played the sort of petulant prince king who's like giving a sort of full sheriff of nottingham yeah vibes I, I i thought he was the highlight definitely because the movie's so sort of muted and drab that like when he turns up it's a bit of energy and yeah i mean it's all very ably performed but just la- just lacking a sort of you know i know that it was already going to be a netflix movie but it does feel like the kind of movie that would be dumped on netflix but yeah. it, ju- it just so <laughs> happens that they actually made it themselves <laughs> yeah that's 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 very it feels like the kind true. of movie that would have had like a disastrous primer and then like they cut it to ribbons and then dumped it on netflix but they produced the entire thing so i don't know what's going on <laughs> who knows what's going on over at netflix yeah not very successful chris bynes dick what's our view on that uh not big, enough of it big not enough of it that's that was my that was my view i mean there might be enough of both, it. both both too much and not enough yes exactly it was too much and it was not enough so failure on that front Looks like Sam's got a film to review, he's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you, that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much, and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. Ne Passaran, this is a documentary directed by Felipe Bustos Sierra. Um, and... Uh, I'm not sure exactly what its availability will be. I'm sure it'll be out on, on demand at some point. I saw it at the ICA. As of recording, I think it's uh, probably still there, but uh, who knows what will be going on by the time this episode comes out. This is the story of a group of um, Scottish workers at a Rolls-Royce factory in East Kilbride who refused to work on some Chilean aircraft engines in order to show solidarity with the Chileans after the coup that brought General Pinochet to power. Um, uh, in, in which the democratically elected socialist uh, president of Chile, Allende, was murdered. Um, and uh, many years later, in the present day, the uh, director is, uh, visits these these old Scottish guys, sort of takes them to the pub and like chats with them basically about their experiences, and then kind of like ping ping pongs back and forth between um, Scotland and Chile, piecing things together, both like the events of the time and uh, what their experience was carrying out this boycott um and and how it went down um and it's a uh it was a, a kickstarter funded film um and i feel like you can sort of tell it feels like a kind of passion project yeah um and it, in a way that's like you know it's obviously like an independently made film i guess 
um although some parts of it are like surprisingly slick and there's this like um uh kind of computer generated reconstruction of the bombing of the palace in um santiago which is like well you know it's just it's just very well done with like a little bit of you know after effects or something they do that quite effectively um but it's it's like not the most polished piece of work i guess one way of putting it and the other sort of main criticism that you could probably level at it is that there's maybe not quite enough action going on for it to feel like a full feature length and it's only about like 80 minutes long but it does feel like relatively kind of dragged out um and you know things are sort of dwelt upon maybe slightly longer than it necessarily needed to be it's not it's not like a terribly complicated story they basically just refuse to work on these engines they sat in this factory for like years and years without ever being worked upon and then were eventually carted off um under slightly suspicious circumstances but they, they vanished from the factory and ended up back in chile um but their their sort of like you know strike or their, their boycott of the things was never broken and they were just you know able to do it cool um and there's some very touching scenes of them being recognized for it today they have like messages from people who um uh, survived the coup um of uh, thanks to these like old scottish guys um which they you know they find very touching and so does the audience and then there's a scene <laughs> there's a scene later in the film where they are, are given this um uh kind of award by chile like the highest honor they can give to a foreign national um for 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 what they did and stuff and then and uh it's just very sweet it's a very sweet and heartwarming affair um and uh it's also um a nice kind of reminder of the power of trade unionism um in that without a strong union where you can have guys who are like union shop stewards who literally are just like i'm not doing this you know for political reasons yeah i simply refuse to work on this engine and then it just doesn't happen because management doesn't have the power to uh force them uh to to do it again yeah it's really unthinkable in this day and age it's really hard to imagine such a thing occurring like yeah um, from for for the, this kind of solidarity to be shown just as a kind of spontaneous action in the shop floor and all these like guys who did it at the time are like quite casual about it now they're just like you know well we'd read the news and it was like unacceptable uh you know to support this and so we didn't do it and like you know yeah, yeah. And, that, and that was that and that's about all the thought you put into it whereas like uh these days if you want to um have like an effective kind of active solidarity or going to strike whatever it's like a whole thing you know yeah yeah of course <laughs> you have to put an insane amount of effort into everything to make like any headway whatsoever because um uh unions are, are so uh legally weakened um and this like entire structure of like um an internationally strong socialist movement that can like have um, a real impact um uh, doesn't exist in the same way as it used to so there's this sort of odd undercurrent of melancholy to it in a way really because these like you know it's the the thing that's remarkable about it is not that you know so much the sort of heroism of these guys but the fact that like they were able to do it in a way that was so casual and that like really didn't personally cost them very much yeah um because like structures existed that enabled that to happen um but i would say like if you're interested in this at all as a topic i i, I definitely recommend I'm seeking it out. It's got some really, uh, it's got some very interesting interviews with people from, uh, from Chile. Um, there are, there are some holes in, um, in it. The guy was not able to track down anyone from Rolls Royce. So, um, the whole angle of the story of how management reacted to this and why they didn't try harder to stop it or whether the Chilean government was talking to Rolls Royce and demanding that they fire these factory workers or, or none of that is present because, you know, he just de- simply didn't find any of that out because he couldn't speak to those people. Um, so that's a bit of a shame. Uh, but other than that, his access seems to have been pretty good. He, he talks to like a Chilean retired general who's um, 
shows no remorse whatsoever. So this is sort of, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, interesting uh, sure, kind yeah. of guy for him to talk to. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very unashamedly sentimental piece of work. And and the last like certainly the last half hour of it is like quite thick with kind of strings and like these nice old men sort of wandering about. Um, but I think if you're if you're sympathetic to the subject matter, I think you'd find it very enjoyable. Okay. Oh, and one other thing, Jake Hoskins got in touch with us to ask about this movie a little while ago. He said, "Are you chaps going to review Napass Around the new doc about East Kilbride Rolls Royce workers sticking it to Pinochet? Punny title, all about trade union solidarity." Um, blah blah blah. Also. While we're on the subject of Chilean films, Pedant's Corner Time, Pablo Larraine's last name is pronounced Larrain rather than Lorraine, which is how we've been pronouncing We've been pronouncing it like Lorraine Kelly. Yeah. Um, Larrain. But it's like La Rain. La Rain. La Rain. Pablo Larrain. Because there's an accent on the I. Ah. So that's it's got its own thing going on. Well, uh, my knowledge of Chilean politics is purely from Pablo. Larain movies. Yeah. So maybe I should watch this documentary to fill out a few of the holes in my and He does say knowledge. it's probably more pretentious to pronounce it correctly, so it's your call. Well, I will be pronouncing it correctly from now on. Well, I will you... never let the dis- disgusting anglophile or anglophone version come out of my mouth. But remember that time when I reviewed Jackie and I was like, I just saw... No, I reviewed Naruto and I was like, I just saw Jackie. And you're like, oh, when it... When it pause it's Lorraining you made some like great <laughs> some great Lorraine pun which just does not work with the authentic pronunciation uh, well I'm glad to have got that one in so you know yeah pronunciation's gain is humor's loss <laughs> as far as I'm concerned yeah anyway watch the watch now Pazaran that's the best film that we've reviewed today about Scottish people being heroic Burn. <laughs> Fucking burn. <laughs> Fucking burned. David McKenzie, fuck you. <laughs> My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Did you hear that Doug Lyman's recut fair game? <laughs> are you are you what? He's done what's a fair game? He's recut it. You can't re- you can't recut fair game. You remember that movie Fair Game? That's not fair game for that. <laughs> <laughs> he's recut it and re-released it as like some sort of response to Trump <laughs> like, I'll be honest with you I don't remember this film what is it he made a film Doug Liman he directed, directed Jumpers uh, and The yeah. Bonded Entity and stuff yeah exactly sort of journeyman director did swingers back in the day quite a eclectic career a bit like David McKenzie fucking David McKenzie <laughs> prick <laughs> um, he made this film Fair Game which I think is based on a true story about uh, there was a journalist who was married to a spy and because the journalist wrote a article criticizing Bush's administration, they leaked the ID of his oh, wife. Oh, shit. I uh, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, fuck. Yeah. I forget which way around it is. Um, but yeah. But it's but, Valerie, Valerie yeah, Plain? That sounds about right. She was, she was a CIA agent whose um, cover was blown deliberately as retribution for her husband writing a story that was critical of the Bush administration. Exactly. And as it was he, as he mental. turned into what apparently was quite a bad film starring right. Naomi Watts and Sean Penn, directed by Doug Lyman. But in the wake of all this Trump nonsense, he's like, got to get back in the editing suite. I don't know what he's done. <laughs> and like, I don't know how he's made it more relevant. It got quite a sort of what, bad say, reception at the time. A story about that was like a historical story about the Bush administration, yeah, you know, showing real events. Is now we turned into <laughs> some kind of like a- allegorical story about 
the Trump administration. Who knows? Who knows what goes <laughs> in the crazy mind of Doug Lyman? Yeah, he must have just been watching the news, watching Trump disrespect the journalists, like the CNN journalists. It was like, this will not stand. Do you think it's Can a... I get uh, the funding to make a film about this? No, it doesn't matter. I'll just recut one of the movies I've already made. Maybe I'll just like recut Jumpers and make that about Trump as well. Do you think, yeah, was, do you think it's like a cynical cash grab? He's like, I'm actually reacting to the time by just sort of repackaging my old films. <laughs> not enough people saw it. So. Swingers was all about Trumpism. Get my new Blu-ray, you know, extended edition of it. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Anyway... We've been talking far too long about far too long about all these great and bad films. I want to end today by apologising <laughs> for how long we've been talking. Join us next week. We'll be talking about. Well, I'll be discussing the film Assassination Nation. I think it's terrible. So look forward to my great rant about that. Ooh, epic rant. Epic rant time. And also Alfonso Cuarón's Roma is coming out. Epic rant about how good that is. That is great. Uh, go see it in the cinema. It's so weird. That's going to be on Netflix. It's an amazing film. Yeah, actually, film. yeah. Before we review it, I think it's worth giving a heads up that, like... If you can go to a screening, go to one. It's absolutely crazy. Like, I don't... You know, we're not, like, snobs about, like, viewing formats or whatever, but Roma would be such a fucking weird film to watch on Netflix, to be honest. Unless you've got some kind of ultra-high-quality, you know, version of Netflix that does everything in sort of professional, you know, crispness. Yeah, unless you own and live in a cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Join us then. Goodbye. Goodbye. Let's do it. Hi, I'm Tom Cruise. Obviously. And I'm Chris McCoy. Obviously. And we're talking to you from the set of Top Gun Maverick. We're very proud to present Mission Impossible Fallout. And we want you to enjoy it to the fullest possible effect, just as you would in a theater. To that end, we'd like a moment of your time to talk to you about video interpolation. Video interpolation, or motion smoothing, is a digital effect on most high-definition televisions and is intended to reduce motion blur sporting events and other high-definition programs. The unfortunate side effect is that it makes most movies look like they were shot on high-speed video rather than film. This is sometimes referred to as the soap opera effect. Without a side-by-side -side comparison, many people can't quite put their finger on why the movie they're watching looks strange. Most HDTVs come with this feature already on by default, and turning it off requires navigating the set of menus with interpolation often referred to by another brand name. If you own a modern high-definition television, there's a good chance you're not watching movies the way the filmmakers intended. The ability to do so is not simple for you to access. Filmmakers are working with manufacturers to change the way video interpolation is activated on your television, giving you easier access and greater choice over when to use this feature. Meanwhile, a quick internet search should provide you with step-by-step -step instructions on how to quickly disable the feature so that you can enjoy the movie you're about to see exactly as the filmmakers intended. On behalf of everyone who works so hard to bring you the very best motion picture experience, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.